welcome to each and every one of you, particularly men who are working through the whole matter of how to raise a family in the ways of the Lord, and pray that uh, this service today will minister to your heart and touch your needs. Thinking of a passage of Scripture that might speak to the hour that's at hand, I'd like you to turn to Psalm 78, breaking from our series in Second Chronicles, because here is a passage of Scripture that was written by a man named Asaph, who, well, we'll get to him in just a few minutes, tell you a little bit about him, but a man, obviously, who has a vision to how to impact the following generations with the gospel of Messiah, Christ Jesus. And so you're going to notice that the inscription at the beginning of Psalm 78 that this is described as a maskil, which we're going to get to in a moment as well. But make note of that. And it is written by a man named Asaph. And from Psalm 73 through 83, you have what's known as the Asaph collection. He was a musician, and he's got obviously training in music, and he wants to instruct people theologically in the whole matter of God's word. So beginning in verse 1, down through verse 8, here you and I find these words. O my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I'll open my mouth in parables. I'll utter things, hidden things, things from of old. What we've heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, the wonders he's done. He decreed statutes for Jacob established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they, in turn, would tell their children. And then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their forefathers stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. It's a rich passage for a Father's Day, and we want to explore the depths of it all now as we pause and we look to our Lord in prayer. When we come before you, we are coming before you as... God the Father. We come to the Father through the Son and the Holy Spirit. When we see the word in the name Father, we think of provider and protector. And as provider, you provided us with Messiah, Jesus, who came to die for our sins. You've provided us with salvation. As protector, you are the sovereign one in control of this world and in control of our lives. In someone we can put our trust and our faith. So, Father, I pray that each and every one of us today are going to have a very vertical 
perspective. Thinking very deep thoughts, clear thoughts, yet practical thoughts of what does it mean to live under the protective, provisional grace of the Father above? And how do we work that out in families? How do we apply that to our relationships, to our friends at school and elsewhere, our co-workers and colleagues, our neighbors? What we're asking, Lord, is that you're going to give us an insight to see beyond ourselves. It is impossible to be a worshiper and a self-absorbed person simultaneously. We've got to be absorbed with you. So because of that, we're asking again that you're going to warm these hearts of ours, Challenge these wills of ours. Engage these minds of ours. Again, Father, we've come here to see Jesus and him only. We're praying these things still again now in Jesus' name. Amen. It's the story of three Bibles. This was the first Bible I used when I began pastoral ministry in New England. It's a Bible that's got notations and a lot of underlining. It's worn and intentionally wrapped together. It it notes deaths and it notes births. Describes building programs and describes involvement in a Billy Graham crusade and radio broadcasts and so forth. Most importantly, it describes people initialed who came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. A young girl born by the name of Catherine in New England. It's the New England Bible. The second church plant we went through, building programs and radio programs and crisis pregnancy center established and the likes, Pennsylvania, and there Joe and Ben born. Lots of underlining and thoughts, a lot of interaction on the cultural issues of the hour, particularly in the Q&A sessions on late night radio. People challenging this man with regard to what the scriptures taught on sexuality matters and ethical matters nationwide. Notations made and particularly people noted who came to saving faith again in Jesus Christ. Third Bible. The Bible that we brought here and have been using in Wisconsin. The Bible that's been used where notations pertaining to uh, the passing of a loved friend, Mark Steele, and an esteemed woman, Winfred Mooney. Passages covered in those funerals and others underlined and marked. Notations about the completion of a doctoral program and a district superintendency, but more importantly, Underlining of scriptures pertaining to passages covered on Sunday mornings. Notations of where people came to saving faith. 
little inscriptions of phrases that stand out in the way in which God has worked. Three Bibles over 32 years of senior pastoral ministry. Three Bibles. Three children. Because it's the intent of this particular father at a certain time in his life that each of our children in their 20s and on their own now will have one of these Bibles representing a certain time period in their parents' ministry history where they can go back in time and try to understand a little better as to why they are where they are, have heard what they've heard, and how we have sought to apply truth to trends, truth to the times in which we live, principles in the whole realm of parenting, And this is exactly what Asaph has in mind here as well. We're to be a transmitter of truth to generations. It's not to say each generation will accept the truth, embrace the truth, follow the truth. But it's the responsibility, obviously, of the parents and the family to communicate the truth, whether or not the next generation is willing to embrace it and apply it. Three Bibles, one for each child. Eight verses for us this morning. And what I want to do is to break them down into two significant provisions that I think relate extremely well into the way in which a father goes about transmitting truth into the hearts of the next generation. Now, whether you're a father or a mother, single or married, young or old, no matter where you're at in life, our goal is to be truth transmitters this morning and asking how can I practically relate this to where I'm at in my particular moment in time that God's given me. The first provision I see is coming out of verses 1 down through verse 4. Now we're going to be talking about the wise father here. And so, number one, The wise father provides what I'm going to call an instructional approach. An instructional approach to guide his family. Verse 1, down through verse 4. And I say instructional because this is an instructional psalm. You'll notice that the inscription is, this is a maskeel. If you and I were to go and look up the word maskeel in a Hebrew dictionary, we would find that the word means wisdom, to provide insight, understanding. What we see here, then, is that Asaph wants to be an individual who's equipping families and generations to be wise and understanding with regard to the circumstances we're confronted with in life. In other words, he's challenging you and me now, no matter single or married, young or old, whatever, to become masculine-type people. And he backs it up because you'll notice that this is a masculine of Asaph, and you will see that name listed again in the inscription right under Psalm 78. Asaph was a musician during the days of Solomon. 
If you and I were to be allowing for our fingers to flip around in the verses of our Bible, we would notice that in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, Asaph was one of the musicians that was responsible for the music as the ark was being led into Jerusalem under the leadership of Solomon. Here, then, is a man who is going to take the wisdom of Solomon and poetically and musically put together arrangements for the next generations to process with regard to how to relate to God. And likewise, you and I are being challenged here in these verses now, poetically, to be able to take together the verses of wisdom here and relate them to the times in which we live. This is one of the many, quote-unquote, wisdom psalms. Wisdom psalms that we find in the psalms. Chapter 1, Psalm 1, would be another classic example. And furthermore, this is a history psalm, as Asaph will now take people and walk them through the times prior and leading up to the times in which they live, and connect the dots so they can understand the reason behind the events. Now, if you want to be a masculine person, then you want to embrace now this whole idea of being someone who will provide an instructional approach, no matter what kind of context you've been placed in, in life. So beginning in verse 1, you and I are informed that Asaph begins, O my people. Very relational, isn't he? Very connected with people. If you're going to impart truth, you're going to have to be up close and personal to have impact. O my people, hear my teaching. Underline that word, teaching, and tie it back to the word maskeel. The root word for this word teaching, which we would transliterate S-K-L from Hebrew into English, carries with it the idea of Torah, Torah, which describes the first five books of your Older Testament. Furthermore, the word Torah carries with it the idea of to point at the direction in which we should go. Now, what we find here, then, is that Asaph is empowering this generation to be able to point in the direction in which they should go. Now, what I see right now in the extended situations of our current times is that People are at, are at intersections of life. We need somebody in the middle of the intersection saying, go that way, or there's a collision up ahead, go that way. Someone who is informed about what's coming down the pike. And someone who understands what's happened along life's journey. Bruce Larson has written a book, love the title, There's a lot more to health than being sick. And describes a time in which, as a small boy, he was in a worship service at his Presbyterian 
church in Chicago, where many of the leading business, political, and professional people were attending services at that time. He tells us one of the twelve ushers, there was a man named Frank Loesch. He's not a very big, imposing man, but in Chicago he was a living legend. For he was the man who had stood up to Al Capone. In the Prohibition years, Capone's rule was absolute. The local and state police and even the Federal Bureau of Investigation were afraid to oppose him. But single-handedly, Frank Loesch, a Christian layman, without any government support, organized the Chicago Crime Commission, a group of citizens that was determined to take Mr. Capone to court and put him away. And during the months that the Crime Commission met, Frank Loesch's life was in constant danger. There were threats on his family, threats on his friends, but he never wavered. Ultimately, he won the case against Capone, was the instrument for removing this blight from the city of Chicago. He had risked his life to live out his faith. Whenever Mr. Loesch arrived on the scene, typically to position himself as an usher, my father, a Chicago businessman himself, never failed to poke me and silently point point in his direction. Sometimes I'd catch a tear in my father's eye. Because you see, for my father and for all of us, this was and is what authentic living is all about. A father who knew where to point. Now, what we are saying here is that we are equipping, we are empowering people to know the direction in which we are to be pointing. Not to the earthly Father, we're fallible, sinful. To the heavenly Father who would, as provider and protector, send his Son to this world to die for our sins. So now, we become these directional agents in the intersections of life, pointing to the next generation, the path that they need to take. You see, all of that stands behind that one word. We have just created a word picture. Out of that one word, teaching, from which we get word Torah. But now, notice the next phrase you found here in Psalm 78. We're still in verse 1. Listen to the words of my mouth. The word listen carries with it the idea of to extend the ear. It's the individual who is pictured as leaning into truth. Because due to our sinful nature, we are spiritually hard of hearing. And so we've got to extend the ear and lean into the truth. But you see, our culture is to lean away from the truth. To withdraw the ear rather than to extend the ear. 
Now, if you're a father, you nor I have the ability to extend the ear of the next generation. That is their responsibility. There is dual responsibility here in this opening verse. For the parent, the responsibility is teaching, Torah. For the next generation, the responsibility is listening, extending the ear, not so much to the Father's words, but much more so significantly to the Heavenly Father's words as being communicated by this earthly Father. Some will resist the truth and pull back. And you can tell by the body language. But others extend the ear and lean into the truth. So now what we want to do is to cultivate this educational atmosphere. And as we do so, what we're doing in essence is following along the basic principles that God himself through Moses delivered to the families of Israel. Hear, O Israel, we are told in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. And so whether your child is young or older, in the house, or in my case, out of the house, whatever the situation is, look for those strategic moments with a walking along the road, riding in the car, standing at the intersection in the morning hour or perhaps the reflective times later at night, texting, Facebooking, emailing, Twitter, whatever the case is, become a transmitter of truth, you see. But bear in mind, it's their responsibility to lean into. You can't force it. The external can't force the internal. The internal shapes the external. But as they come face to face with one after another after another intersection, there ought to become a grating hunger, you see, to extend an ear to people who are making sense of the chaos of the times in which we live. Dad, this Father's Day card was delivered to me a few years ago. Dad, thanks to your lectures... I never change horses in the middle of a job worth doing. I know the squeaky wheel gets the worm. And I never count my chickens until I've walked a mile in their shoes. And on the inside, and you thought I wasn't listening. Happy Father's Day, Dad. From Catherine, Joe, and Ben. Gary, do the teaching. Children, extend the ear. That's something the parent can't do for you. 
at some stages of life, they may extend the ear. At other stages of life, they may withdraw. But your responsibility remains. You're a transmitter of truth. And so in verse 2 now, as you continue to process poetically, you find out that you're also now processing prophetically. In verse 2, it reads, I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter hidden things, things from of old. Well, we have heard and known what our fathers have told us. And you say, Gary, I remember that from my Newer Testament, and you're, and you're right. Look what appears on the screen of Matthew 13, verse 34, verse 35. And make a connection with what you're reading in Psalm 78. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. And so was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. What does he mean by this? And how does he fulfill what's being described here? That generation after generation... What God was doing is fulfilling his strategic plan of redemptive history, connecting the dots that lead to Messiah, entering this world, dying for our sins, and being raised from the dead. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. And so you're in good company now if you are utilizing this teaching strategy. Even if you're single and you're in the workplace, or you are rolling up your sleeves for what's coming next in the fall semester at school. You are wanting to be a transmitter of truth. You understand the trends. You're a student of the culture, but you're also committed to Christ. And it's Christ above culture in your heart. And so what we have heard and known and what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children. And immediately what stands out to me is that this man is a visionary. And I I pray that each one of us, that this is a highly visionary crowd in these three services. That we're not self-absorbed envisioning stuff for ourselves, but rather we're envisioning how God can utilize transmitted truth to change lives in the generations to come. We will tell the next generation. And you raise your hand and you ask yourself, now wait a second, wait a second. What am I to tell? What am I to tell the next generation? Maybe you're a parent, maybe you're a grandparent, maybe you're a parent-to-be. What is my responsibility now at this point? Remember we've said the wise father provides an instructional approach to guide his family. With that in mind, notice then the threefold emphasis of instruction. And it's wrapped up in verse 4. Number one, emphasize the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. Now, what you want to do at this point, then, is to not only talk about what God has done, but lead that person 
from being instructed in God to be a worshiper of God because they're called to praise Him. These are the praiseworthy deeds, not merely the deeds. And so, your objective is Torah, directing in the intersection of life, praying that each of the family members will extend the ear, lean into the truth. Your objective, then, is not merely to recount the deeds, but the soul fill that soul with awe with regard to the praiseworthy deeds. You take them, for example, to the cross, and they have this aha moment as they understand how all the works of the prior generations in the Old Testament point, Torah, point in the direction of Messiah and Jesus. But you don't end there, because here's another word. Not only is your content filled with the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, what else in verse 4? His power. Do you see it there? That's your second main emphasis. His power. Now, as one who connects dots, you say, God is all-powerful, and that's why he did what he did, and it's worthy of praise. And you help them to understand better in their big challenging moments of life that they've got an all-powerful God who can guide them if they've got an extended ear to understand the Torah that's being delivered. His family. His family is reviewing his Bible after his passing. The Bible of Billy Sunday, an evangelist of prior generations. They found these words in Sunday's Bible. 29 years ago, with the Holy Spirit as my guide, I entered at the portico of Genesis, walked down the corridor of the Old Testament art galleries where pictures of Noah, Abraham, Moses, Joseph, Isaac, Jacob, and Daniel hung on the wall. I passed into the music room of the Psalms where the Spirit sweeps the keyboard and David leads me in singing. I entered the chamber of Ecclesiastes where the teacher is heard and the truth proclaimed. I entered the business office of Proverbs and on into the observatory of the prophets where I saw telescopes of various sizes Point of far-off events with the word pointing underlined. Concentrating on the bright and morning star which was to rise above the moonlit hills of Judea for our salvation and redemption. I entered the audience room of the King of Kings catching a vision written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the correspondence room with Paul, Peter, James, and John writing their epistles. I stepped into the throne room of Revelation where tower the glittering peaks sits the king of kings upon his throne of glory with the healing of nations in his hand. And I cried out, All hail the power of Jesus' name. And now you look at the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord and you connect the deeds 
to the one who produced these deeds? And what was it in his attributes that was significant for those deeds to be achieved? His power. And then furthermore, there's a third aspect to your teaching, found in verse 4, the wonders he has done. And now you want to make absolutely certain that you tie science to the Scriptures. And you allow them to be able to understand the wonders of this world the incredible understanding of gravity and the laws of thermodynamics, and on and on and on. The significance of how the creation is held together. And then when life seems a little bit challenging, you take the wonders and you lead them to say to verse 13, when life gets a bit difficult, he divided the sea and led them through. He made the water stand firm like a wall. He guided them with the cloud by day and with light from the fire all night. He split the rocks in the desert and gave them abundant water, as abundant as the seas. He brought streams out of a rocky crag and made water flow down like rivers. And then you lean forward because you're doing Torah work at this moment. Torah work. And you're praying, oh, you're praying in your heart, will somebody lean into the truth? who at this moment is extending the ear. Maybe you take them back to that episode being described there in verse 13. He divided the sea and led them through. And you're asking them, got anything right now that is so seemingly impossible in your life? You have a relationship to the Father in heaven who is capable of parting waters. If he could do that then, he can do stuff like that now in your own personal experience. Look at the areas in which they feel all hemmed in and intimidated by the circumstances of life. And show them the power of a Red Sea parter. One who guides with the cloud by day and the fire night and so on. Now you've shown them one, two, three teaching points. You're instructional. But there's a second major provision here for this wise father, but we're talking to all people here. Because second of all, the wise father provides what I'm now going to call a multi-generational approach to guide the family. Verse 5 through verse 8. In other words, we're not so caught up with the current. We are visionaries. We're projecting ahead. And we are resourcing the people to come. And so in verse 5, we're told, He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law of Israel. And you say, well, Gary, you're taking me into the past, not into the future. Sometimes we've got to get to the future through the past. It's back to the future, you know. And so now you collect those two major phrases. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law, literally Torah, in Israel. And now we've got something firm and fixed in a very fluid society. Truth is like a solid. Trends are like a liquid. 
And people are trying to figure out the liquidity of life. They need something solid to work with. And you're giving direction and you're looking for someone to lean into truth. To teach their children. He decreed statutes for Jacob, established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children so the next generation would know them. In other words, they, they need teacher training. In other words, this generation needs teacher training for the next generation who may not even appear on the scene yet to relate truth to trends and truth to the times in which they live. Changeless truths for changing times, you see. And what you want to do is to equip the next generation to understand both. Understand the changing times in which you live. And your metaphor is liquid. H2O, for example. Changing times. But changeless truths for changing times, and your metaphor is the solid. So you bring the two together in their mindset. To grasp how to serve the Lord so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And so now you're thinking beyond. You're not self-absorbed. You're a visionary. Because we're then told, and they in turn would tell their children. They get the strategies of how to be instructional and multi-generational. Now with that in mind, with that in mind, What's their core curriculum? This multi-generational approach. Once again, three emphases stand out in verse 7. Number one, they would put their trust in God. Do you see it there? And so now you think of the one who came into this world to die for our sins. And so you are equipping them with the, the, the burden of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and the redemptive plan unfolding through the course of the generations of Old Testament on into New. And you're highly directional. And you're highly intentional. But next, you notice furthermore, and would not forget his deeds. They would not forget his deeds deeds. In other words, now you are cultivating an educational atmosphere so that there is a, there's a, a memory to work with. Truth is to be applied to the present. Take into account the principles from the past. And thirdly, they would keep his commands. Keep his commands. So now if you tie the first and third together, it's a trust and obey strategy that's unfolding as you are communicating these things for those who need to hear it. And then you nod your head to what Alexander Solzhenitsyn said as he was awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature when he concluded his speech with this Russian proverb, quote, one word of truth outweighs the whole world. Unquote. And now what you want to do is to take words of truth and let them weigh, weigh deep down on the heart of the one 
who's extended the ear, and you keep praying for the one who has withdrawn the ear. But you're still a transmitter. You're still a communicator. You're still an educator. And then you wrap it up in verse 8, and they would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn, rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. And so you look at the examples of the past, and you say, now where are we vulnerable in the present? Children, grandchildren, friends, colleagues. Well, that generation in the past that left Egypt and ended up in the wilderness, they were given so much in terms of guidance, and yet there was rebellion. Then there was that generation that was settled in the land of Canaan. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And then there was that generation of those to the north, those ten tribes that seceded from the union themselves, went their separate ways from God. And you want to take the high ground. And you want to communicate these things. I was talking with a history teacher at the end of first service, Kent Markham. We were filling in ideas of what just took place in the story that I just told. Joshua Chamberlain had served as governor of Maine, later professor of a college in Maine, school president. But the most dramatic moment in his life was when he was younger and he was involved in the conflict of the Civil War and the battle was Gettysburg. Now, if you've seen the movie Gettysburg, then you know that there's this key engagement on a hill called Little Round Top. Maybe you've been there to visit Gettysburg. Now, on the wooded hillside, Yankees from Maine and the rebels from Alabama were at it. And Joshua Chamberlain commanded the regiment from Maine. And prior to the Confederate attack, Colonel Vincent explained to Chamberlain the importance of defending their position on Little Round Top. Quote, Sir, you are the end of the line. You are the extreme left of the Union Army. The line runs from here back to Cemetery Hill. If you go, this line will be flanked. If you flee, the enemy will sweep over the hill and take this entire army from the rear. You must defend this place to the last men which is what Chamberlain did. And at the end of the first service, this AP history teacher, Kent Markham, and I were talking. He said, Gary, I've been to Gettysburg, and I've taught this very story. And I was waiting for him to say more because I knew it was coming. You see, Chamberlain ran out of artillery. And now his soldiers are looking at this man who is known to be a professor, wondering, did he have the battle skills to see this through? And he told them, pull out your bayonets, and we're going to create this movement like this with bayonets. We're going to do it in sync, and we're all going to rush the enemy. And as they did so, in sync, the Confederates didn't know what was going on. They'd never seen anything like it before as they took that hill. We smiled as we were filling in bits and pieces of that story. Because as a historian then tells us, the regiment from Maine held the high ground. They didn't retreat. They didn't surrender 
They help seal the victory of the union. And so you're, you're a Torah instructor. You're directional and intentional and multi-generational. So you want to be a transmitter of truth. The question is, will they extend the ear and lean forward? Three Bibles for three children. The New England years. The Pennsylvania years. The Wisconsin years. Changeless truth for changing times. Let's stand together. No matter what the the family circumstances are, you are sovereign. You're the God who parts waters. You're the God who splits rocks. You're the God who sends a cloud or a pillar of fire to direct your people forward. I pray now, no matter what heart condition there is at this particular moment in that individual's inner being, that you now transmit this truth into the corridors of their soul. Allow them to come alive with the exciting dynamic of your word and find creative ways to transmit Torah truth, these truths in the times in which we live. Not merely thinking of this generation or even the next, but the generations to come and praising you for being the God of all times. So, Father, I pray for the families. I pray for each one. And I ask again, Father, that you do a great work in each heart, here and those not here, that they put faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. We praise our Heavenly Father. You sent your Son to die for us. You get all the glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.